Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, Obeying in Our Own Way and When God Hardens a Heart, the fourth, fifth, and sixth plagues on Egypt, Exodus 8 and 9, Lesson 9 of the Exodus Study. Now, just as a quick side note, I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the title, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months' worth of episodes, And once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. Now, if you've been listening to the previous episodes, you know that I do not have the Exodus study online for y'all to purchase And I'm in the middle of another project, so give me until mid-September or end of September, and I should have this one online. I'm sorry about that if y'all were wanting to follow along and have scripture there in front of you. It's just unexpected things came up. Now, last episode, we talked about the first three plagues that God sent to Egypt. And you might want to go back and listen to that episode if you missed it, because we also talked about what it's like when our hearts grow indifferent and how we respond whenever God has relieved us from whatever our difficult situation is. This week, we're going to move on to the next three plagues, and we'll start today in Exodus 8, beginning in verse 20, and we'll read the fourth plague. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. Then say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants, on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. And in that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there, in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be. And the Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into the servants' houses and all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, It isn't right to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he has commanded us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you shall not go very far away. Intercede for me. Then Moses said, Indeed I am going out from you, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarm of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh, from your servants, and from your people. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully any more in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. 
He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart at that time also. Neither would he let the people go. Okay, so God sent Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh again with a warning. So he had fair warning before this plague came on them. And this time he gave them a whole day to decide whether they were going to obey. Normally he just says, do this. And if you don't do this, then right then with Moses and Aaron talking with him, the plague happens. But this time he said, I'm going to give you a whole day to think about it. And then tomorrow the flies are coming. Now, another difference in this plague is that he specifically says he is not going to allow this to happen to the Israelites. And it just doesn't mention them at all, the first three plagues. So we don't know if it did affect them before. All it says in the first three plagues is that they affected Egypt. And we don't know if that means the immediate area or Egypt as in the surrounding areas like Egypt is a big place. I live in Texas, and so you could say Dallas and mean only the city of Dallas, or you could say Dallas and mean Dallas and its suburbs. So it's unclear as to whether that's what they're talking about here or not. But God specifically says this time it will not affect my people. And he does this for two reasons. The first reason is obviously to show favor to his people and not punish them for something that they're not doing. And the second reason is that it reveals God's power because this is a natural occurrence that happens. And, you know, the frogs came out of the Nile River, so maybe they didn't reach Goshen. And the blood came out of the Nile River, so maybe the people in Goshen had a little bit more water. And even the lice, it was from the dust that was right there in Egypt, so maybe it didn't get all the way out to Goshen. But if flies are swarming the town, then it wouldn't be normal in a natural occurrence for them to only be in that one spot. So God's letting them know, I'm powerful enough to bring a swarm of flies so thick that it covers the whole ground and is all all over all of your houses and everything, and yet there's none in Goshen. And so he gave Pharaoh the whole day to think about it, obey. He did not. And so he sent the flies, and Pharaoh acted a little differently this time too because he tried to negotiate with God. He wasn't going to humble himself enough to just fully submit to God. You know, he wasn't going to say, okay, I give up. You can go. It was more like, well, you can go, but only if you do it my way. Like, I'll let you worship, but I'm not going to let you leave. Really, the goal is worshiping, right? So you can do that. Make your sacrifices here in the land of Egypt, and then that'll satisfy both of us, right? Well, I think that Pharaoh knew that didn't satisfy, but he just wasn't going to give in to God. He was going to do it on his terms. You know, if y'all are going to do things, you're going to do it my way. You're not going to do it God's way, that kind of thing. But Moses was smart and he said, you know, that's not going to work anyway because what we're doing is an abomination to the Egyptians and they'll kill us if they see us sacrificing these animals in their land. Now, we do not know there is differences of opinion between scholars as to whether the Egyptians thought that these animals were completely detestable and so they didn't want them in their land, or if they honored these animals so much that the fact that they were being sacrificed would upset the people. You know, if you remember when the frogs came, we talked about how 
they really honored the frogs because they felt like the frogs were a sign of fertility because it showed that the Nile River could support life and that meant that there was abundant water and their crops were going to grow well that year and all of that. And so they very well may have worshipped these animals and watching them get slaughtered in their land would have disturbed them. We're not really sure. But either way, when Moses said this to Pharaoh, Pharaoh was like, yeah, that's not going to work. And so he said, fine, you can go, but just don't go very far. Just take the flies away from me. He couldn't take it anymore. And so Moses said, all right, I'll ask God and tomorrow God will take them away from you. But be careful not to lie about this again, because you've already done that once where you told us you were going to let us go. And then whenever the relief came, you wouldn't let us go. Remember, that is what happened with the second plague with the frogs. And so Moses did pray and ask God to remove them. And God did remove them. But Pharaoh did not hold up his end of the bargain as soon as all the flies were gone. It says that he hardened his heart at this time also, and he wouldn't let the people go. Now, before we move on to the next plague, I just want us to reflect on our own lives for a moment. Because again, it seems like Pharaoh's being awfully stubborn, but I wonder if we do this too. I wonder if sometimes we don't want to get in trouble, so we want to do what God wants us to do, but we don't really want to do what God wants us to do, so we find a way around doing it His way and end up doing it our way. And then we just rationalize everything and say, you know, well, the end result is the same. So God probably doesn't care about all those details in the middle, all those ways that He told me to get it done just as long as I get it done, right? Or we think, well... I mean, I can just do it this way. It's a little easier for me. It's not going to require too much sacrifice or too much dependence on God. And in the end, I'll still be doing everything the way he wants. So surely he'll be fine with that. The problem with this is that any time that we try to fit God's will with our will, instead of making our will fit his, then we're in trouble, right? We're doing it wrong, if that's the case. When it's like, I want to do this thing, but I know God wants me to do this, so I think I can still do it my way and then fulfill his demands, right? Instead of saying, what is it that God wants me to do? Okay, I will submit my way to his. I'll do it however he asks in whatever time frame he asks, all of that. We've already determined that God is a very purposeful God. So why would he go through the trouble of telling us details of how to do something if it didn't matter to him at all? If he tells us all the details, then he has a reason for every single step that he tells us to take. And part of obeying him just means obeying him fully. It's not sufficient if we mostly do what he says, but not all. Or if, as I said before, end result is the same, but all the process is wrong. Well, then we've disobeyed him a million times and only one time been obedient. And here's the thing. It doesn't benefit us either because we really want to receive whatever the intended results are that God has in mind for us and not whatever result we would get from our own actions. You know, the result that our actions would produce is probably a different one than the one that God would produce or he wouldn't have given us instruction as to how to do it. And it would just be really sad if we missed out on all the blessings that God has for us just because we're too lazy or too careless or too independent or rebellious to do things his way. 
if we want the consequences to be God's consequences, the things to happen in the way that God wanted them to happen, then we have to do them in the way that God intended for us to do them in the first place. So we need to follow him so exactly that if he were walking in front of us, we're stepping in his footprints, right? Just that closely that wherever Jesus goes, we're right behind him exactly in the same place. That is how we will receive the result that God intends from our actions. So I want to read you a couple of verses. The first one is found in Jeremiah 10, 23, and it says, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. So God's telling us, I want you to act, but I want you to act according to the way that I say and not your own way. Listen to Isaiah thirty twenty one. It says, Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it, whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. So God is going to tell us which way to go, how to do things if we will just listen. So if we'll just pay attention to what God tells us, then we'll be walking in the way that pleases him. Now let's listen to John eight twelve. It says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So again, we want to follow Jesus because Jesus is walking in the right way. We'll know where we're going. What's it like whenever you're walking in darkness? You don't know where you're going. You don't know what you're going to step on. You don't know what you're going to run into. Your result is definitely unknown when you're walking around in the dark. What happens when you are in the dark and you're following someone that has a light? They can see. They know where they're going. But you can't see. Normally, when you follow that person, you like hold on to their shirt or you hold their hand because you want to walk exactly where they walk, right? If you're holding their hand and you're standing beside them, then you might run into something. So you stay directly behind them so that you can walk exactly where they walk. So you don't step on anything or hit anything, right? And if you decide to let go of that shirt and you decide to get off to the side a little bit, then you're in danger. You're not protected anymore. It's the same thing with Jesus. Jesus is the one that has the light and we do not. So we have to stay right behind him so that we can make sure that we step in the exact right places so that we'll be safe and we'll be in his will. So now let's move on to the fifth plague. This one begins in chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go in to Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on the horses and the donkeys, the camels and the oxen and on the sheep, a very severe pestilence. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. Then the Lord appointed a set time saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died, but all of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed, not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he didn't let the people go. 
So again, God gave him a whole day to think about this before the plague came. And God told him, you know, this is going to be more than just a nuisance. Like all of the rest of those things were annoying, but they didn't harm anything. But this disease is going to be highly contagious and it's going to kill all of the animals that are living in the fields. And then again, God's going to make a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites. And even knowing that it was going to devastate, you know, their food source and deplete their military mobility, Pharaoh wouldn't do anything. He didn't change his course at all. These animals would have been used for their food, and they also used their horses to carry them into battle. They used the oxen to work. And all of these animals were going to be gone and Pharaoh didn't care. He did nothing. And so the next day, God sent this disease throughout all the fields of Egypt and killed all of their livestock. And when Pharaoh sent someone to check on the Israelites' animals, it was exactly as God had said. Not one of their animals had died that night. I mean, this proved to him that it was God. He knew God was doing this. He knew why it was happening. He was fully aware that God had power. And it seems this time he's just mad. It says, you know, he just hardened his heart and wouldn't let the people go. So even the loss of the life of their animals and the devastation to the country did not change his mind. He's in a bad place by this point. When bad things like that can happen to everyone that we know, basically, just because of something that we're doing and we are that hard that we just don't care anymore and we're going to just be stubborn, then that's an issue. But he isn't concerned, obviously. Um, all right. So let's read the sixth plague beginning in verse eight. And we're only going to read to verse 11 for the moment. So it says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take for yourselves handfuls of ashes from the furnace and let Moses scatter it towards the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh. And it will become fine dust in the land of Egypt and it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. Then they took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh and Moses scattered them towards heaven and they caused boils that broke out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians couldn't stand before Moses because of the boils, for they were on the magicians and on the Egyptians. So since there was no response for the killing of their livestock, then again, this time, God didn't give him any warning. He just sent Moses to do this in front of Pharaoh. When Pharaoh sees that Moses is doing this with his own hand, he obviously knows that it's God. Now, if you notice, the way that this is done is pretty funny because he tosses the ashes that are from the oven that the Israelites used to make those bricks. And so that oven was kind of an instrument of cruelty to the Israelites. It's how the Egyptians caused pain for them. And now God is using that same thing to cause pain onto the Egyptians. So that's quite a turn of events. I'm sure they weren't expecting that. And God's upping his game, right? If he didn't care about the animals dying, then maybe they would care about their own physical bodies being in pain. Because again, all the rest of them were just a nuisance before the livestock. And then the livestock, yes, it was hard for the people, but it wasn't their own physical body being in pain. This time, the people are hurting. These boils are painful. And they're all over everyone. 
it says that the magicians couldn't even stand with them because their boils were so bad. You know, they haven't replicated any of the plagues since the third one when they tried to replicate the lice on the third one and they couldn't do it. And so we haven't heard anything again about them being able to replicate anything. But apparently they've always been there with Pharaoh and this time they weren't because they were in so much pain. Kind of have to wonder if they were affected so badly by this plague because they failed to continue to try to persuade Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. Because remember, after the last, they said, this is surely the finger of God, indicating that Pharaoh should let them go. But he hadn't listened to them. Well, that was the third plague. And they've had two more since then. And there's been no mention of them saying, hey, you know, you got to stop this. And so it may have been that these plagues specifically affected them so that they would see they should have continued to try to persuade Pharaoh. I don't know. The whole land was being affected, but it just was pointed out that they specifically were in so much pain. So anyway, let's read the next four or five verses and we'll end with them. So beginning in verse 12 to verse 12 to 16, it says, But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he didn't heed them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart and on your servants and on your people, that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Now, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this purpose, I've raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Okay, so this is the first time that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Through all the rest of the plagues and the miracles, Pharaoh had done it himself. So when Aaron turned his staff into a snake and then ate up all the other people's staffs, when the water was turned to blood, when they were infested with frogs and lice and flies, and then even when their livestock died, Pharaoh had hardened his own heart. So it wasn't until the sixth plague that God hardened his heart himself. And maybe the reason was because now that it was affecting his own body and the health of the people that Pharaoh would have been more inclined to relent at this point. But that doesn't mean that he had come to understand that he was wrong or regretted anything that he had done previously to the Hebrews. It only meant that he just wanted everything to stop. And we've already seen that when he wants something to stop, he lets it stop and then just goes about his business and does whatever he wants. So that doesn't really prove anything. And God explains here, he already could have killed them. He could have destroyed them completely. But instead, he allowed them to live, allowed Pharaoh to harden his own heart, and then now is lifting Pharaoh up so that through Pharaoh's resistance, God's own name will be lifted up throughout the whole land. Now, let me read what Paul says to the Romans in Romans 9, 14 through 23. He explains how God is righteous and Pharaoh is still at fault for what he's done. It says, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. 
For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then, it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God that shows mercy. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills, he hardens. You may say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing that formed say to the one that formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and one for dishonor? What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared before him for glory? None of it is about us, is what this is saying. This is all about God. If God chooses to show mercy on us, then he can. But if he chooses not to, that's his prerogative too, because he is the creator of the whole earth, and he has ability to create us for whatever purpose he has for us. And again, Pharaoh has placed himself as an enemy of God. So God is just using that to glorify his name. Now, let's look in Exodus 33, 15 through 23. This is Moses talking to God, and he says, If your presence doesn't go with us, don't bring us from here. For how then will it be known to your people that I have found grace in your sight, except if you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said, I will do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight. And I know you by name. And he said, please show me your glory. And then God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you can't see my face for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be when my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you will see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So this is the part that Paul was just quoting where he says, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. And he is doing that for Moses right here because Moses wants to see his glory. And he says, okay, I'll allow that, but only in a certain way where I can protect you. Now, listen to what it says in Isaiah 45, 7 through 10. I form the light and create the darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Rain down, you heavens from above, and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open, let them bring forth salvation, and let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to him who strives with his maker. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? Or shall your handiwork say to you, He has no hands? Woe to him who says to his father, What are you begetting? Or to the woman, What have you brought forth? So what he's saying here is the same thing he said in Romans about how God's the one that formed you. How can you speak against him? He's talking about a potter making something out of clay. And he says, you know, is the clay going to turn around and say, why do you make me this way? 
No, it's just his prerogative. He's the creator. And so it says here that God forms light and darkness, peace and calamity. These are all things that God has the ability to do because he's the creator of the earth and he can do things in whatever way pleases him. And we aren't really anyone to question him. Again, with the potter and the clay, listen to Jeremiah 18, 1 through 11. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord says, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to him and said, O house of Israel, how can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look at the clay in the potter's hand. So are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, or to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring on it. And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight so that it doesn't obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good I said I would benefit it. Now therefore speak of the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. Return now every one from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. Now, this is the last verse. This is Job 4.17. And Job is talking here and he says, Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? What that's saying is how we just can't really speak against him because he is righteous and we are not. And he is pure and we are not. We just can't understand the things of God and we can't speak against them because he is higher than we are. Just as the person that makes anything is higher than the thing that's made, that's the way it is with us. So I know these are hard sayings. Sometimes it's difficult for us to understand why God does the things that he does, but we just have to remember that he has a reason and his ways are right and good and just. And if they seem that they are not that way to us, then we're the ones that are wrong. It's just the way that it is because we are the created. We're not the creator. And in this case with Pharaoh, we just have to continue to remember that Pharaoh placed himself as an enemy of God from the beginning when he oppressed the people and then resisted all of God's pleas for him to obey him for five plagues and when Aaron did the miracle with the staff. And so at this point, God's not making Pharaoh not do what he's supposed to do. Pharaoh's already made himself disobey the Lord. And God is just pushing this to a further, more dramatic result so that God's name will be glorified and not Pharaoh's. He doesn't want Pharaoh to be the one that's like, eh, okay. He wants to show his own glory. And so I hope that helps y'all understand that just a little bit better in your minds. But again, the things that we don't understand just means that we're human and we don't get it. But we just have to trust that God is right and good and all the things that he does are right and good. And maybe one day in heaven, we'll understand some of the things that we don't now if they're really bothersome to us. 
Okay, so we're going to stop right there. And next week, we're just going to talk about the seventh plague. There's a lot to talk about with the seventh plague. So that's all we'll cover next week. It's taken us a little while to get through these plagues, but that's okay. So make sure that you join us next week for that. Leave me comments wherever you're listening. You can also email me at Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com. Leave me a five-star review. That helps get the word out about this podcast. And then just make sure that you join us next week. Thanks and have a good day. Thank you.